Kia ora koutou anō. Welcome to this week's uh, edition of the Hui Come Home podcast. It's good to have you along again. I hope um, hope you enjoyed uh, hearing Dr. Alastair uh, Reese last week. Um, this week, um, I am uh, sharing the message that I spoke at the Earth Hui in Owai uh, Marae in Waitara uh, in October 2016. So just a reminder again that over the next probably five weeks, um, the the talks, the podcasts that are coming up are coming from the talks from that hui that we ran at Owai Marae. It was a fantastic time and we've just confirmed that we are going to run it again this year. So look out for the dates in November, probably the first weekend in November 2017. Um, but I'll flicker those details uh, later on in the year. Uh, I was asked to talk on the future of missions, uh, what Christian missions is, what Christian missions looks like. So naturally, knowing my the way I look at things, um, I chose to look at the future by going back to the past. Uh, so my talk really is going back uh, about, uh, particularly looking at the, some of the uh, some of the aspects of the first three hundred years of church history, and then and then the season that went when the church ran the world, so to speak. The Western world, should we say? Um, so I'm I'm really trying to look at the way that we frame ourselves by looking at the past and by looking at what was positive back then and what was not positive back then, and hopefully from that we'll gain some insight about how we are to position ourselves today. Uh, but the other thing you should know um, you should know about this is last October, of course, we were gearing up for the U.S. elections. So I, um, I very much frame my talk around the political climate of the US, particularly around the polarity of the Trump campaign versus the Clinton campaign, because that campaign has really, has really ignited some massive division in the world, really, um, between the right and the left, and never the twain shall meet, and that is just um, not healthy and not helpful. So my talk is also framed within uh, that. So I think that's something you should know. I do start my talk with asking the audience to have a five-minute discussion on whom whom they would vote for. So of course I've taken that part out. But just to let you know, we drop in as we gather back from that discussion. So here is my talk. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, sorry, Aro Mike. Um, The other thing too is that, uh, of course, we're also presenting the music of Link Church in Hamilton. Uh, the CD that they've put out called Kia Kaha came out in um, January. So uh, there'll also be a track from there later on as well. So I hope you enjoy that. You can get the, the uh, Link the Link CD um, via iTunes, the iTunes store. So um, uh, kia ora koutou. I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Nā mihi nui. Look, um... We're, we're, we're here, um, we've called this hui around earth um, to talk about the concept in Christianity that we call missions. Um, the way that we have uh, set up this weekend is we want to talk about past, present and future of, of what missions is, what it might mean, what it isn't. Um, and, and try and explore some of those things around the past, the present, and the future. Um, I, I've been asked to take a little look at the future. Um, and I, I, don't, 
I, I'm not going to go too far, actually. He titiro fakamuri hari fakamua, like we, you know, we look backwards as we walk into the into the future. Um, so, before I begin my little talk, um, can I just see a show of hands? That what what Ellie shared this morning, uh, or even maybe what you heard last night. Um, who's who has heard that stuff for the first time? Yeah, okay. Um, who'd, who'd heard the Parihaka stuff for the first time last night? Um, this, uh, this stuff is... Um, uh, this stuff is it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Sto- the, the, the truth is this is our story. Uh, and the cool thing is, is that we can actually go, man, okay, I, I, I'm going to accept this, I'm going to own this, and this is the story of where I've come from. And I, I love to try to talk in the terms that, okay, we, we are one body here, we are the body of Christ, we have one story. And it's made up in a myriad of different cells and organisms and little blood vessels doing their things at different parts. But essentially, we are one. And um, like any healthy person, a healthy person needs to acknowledge the good, the bad, and the ugly of their story. You know, um, And so it's absolutely okay for us to hear some of the stuff last night or today, and maybe for the first time, and it's totally natural to feel really awkward about it um, and I, I just want to say to everyone that is normal and it's a normal human response to go man this actually really bad stuff that's happened and I belong to this and whew, what does that mean about me um, and they're all the questions that we need to talk about if we want to move together as one body and move forward together. Um, so um, if, it's kind of like, um, in, in a way, what Marta shared last night, you know, don't, don't feel bad. Blame and shame is actually never going to, it's never moved anyone forward. Like, it definitely hasn't for me. It's only made me feel worse about myself. Um, it's not till God steps in and actually gives me a perspective of who I am that enables me to go, actually, far out. Yeah, okay, I did that, but let's move on. You know, let's find grace and let's move. Um, and I really have been anticipating this weekend because I really do believe that the Holy Spirit wants to move us as one. He wants to move us as one body with so many different expressions of this thing called Christianity and different ways we practice it with different peoples. But when it, when it comes to it here in New Zealand, we are the te. We are the body of Christ. Uh, and um, so my, my goal this morning is to, is before lunch, is to try and explore some things about our future mission and what that might mean uh, and I, I want to look a little bit at the, um, at the past. Um, but let me start off by, uh, I want to start with a scripture. And then I want to uh, come back to it after I share some history stuff. 
So a very famous passage, and I almost refrain from speaking on this because it's a little bit cliche, so I'm sorry about that. But ladies and gentlemen, we're going to cross the River Jordan today. <laughs> we're crossing over to the other side. <laughs> so cliche. Anyway, I want to read it out and I'll pull some stuff out of it when we, towards the end. This is from Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Folks, we are setting out from Shittim. <laughs> anyway. And went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving order to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a k, doesn't say that, but I'm just surmising, between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. I'll come back to this at the end. Um, but very quickly, um, our understanding of the word missions comes from this Latin word, missio. Uh, missio was a word tra uh, translated from the Greek into Latin in about the 16th, 15th, 16th 17th century. Um, and in other words, it's a, in, in, in terms of the body of Christ, it's a fairly new word. <laughs> it's, not an, it's, it's not a word that was around uh, back in Jesus' day. But where it comes from, missio is the word translated um, into Latin for the word apostle. Uh, and what we understand and what we know from what an apostle is, an apostle is someone who generally is like the big wig of the church, you know, like a uh, uh, stand up the front, a leader, someone go, wow, that person, that lady, that, that man, wow, leader, awesome. Um, and in a way, over time, the concept of missions has come to be represented by an important person and not by all of us. Um, while, while we might theologically know that, we don't feel that. Um, we don't believe it. We don't generally get up in the morning with a sense of, I'm on mission. Jesus Christ has called me to Cambridge or to Patarudu or to wherever that might be uh, uh, and I am living the story of Jesus in my community. Some of us do, and there's been a big transformation over this in the last decade, and we, we, we are improving. But the culture remains that tato tato air, all of us, don't feel the sense that when I get up in the morning, I am a, a missio day. I am a follower of Jesus, called to be his representative in my family, in my story, amongst my friends, and in my workplace, and in the smoko rooms of Aotearoa. Because this is where we all have to leave this room today 
with a sense of, uh uh-uh, that's old interpretive history. And we've had different people speak on this in churches throughout the years, but every single one of us need to leave this room today owning that. That whoever we are, wherever we've come from, we are God's workmanship created in advance. Uh, oh, sorry, created by Christ, in Christ Jesus uh, um, to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. I believe that. I believe that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. I forget that. But I've got to come to places every day where I go, the spirit of the sovereign Lord actually is upon me, even though I don't know any of this history. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, even though I'm white and I can't even say cure to right. Right? I've got to believe that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, even though I am Māori, but have been Pākehā all my life and have always felt awkward being in Māori context. I've got to believe that even though some of us in this room are tutu Māori through and through, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon them and upon us to negotiate our land and our whenua. Jesus Christ calls every single one of us here here and right now to carry the story that for some of us we've only begun to hear for the first time today and maybe last night. Now, because we're one and because we're a part of a body, we are actually a part of a 2,000-year story. And... um, I want to spend five minutes t- talking about 2,000 years of missions history. <laughs> Woo! Very, very quickly. But the, the, the thing I want to put out um, is if, if we look from the time of Christ up to about 320, 325, so for the first 300 years of Christianity, um, The thing that the early church knew was this phrase called Jesus Christ, or Jesus is Lord. And that little saying, Jesus is Lord, transformed the Western world. Because what the early church knew in their mission was that actually the framework of the day and the worldview of the day as the story left the Hebrews the Hebrew world, and went into a Greco-Roman world. The whole world knew that Caesar was Lord, that Caesar was king of kings, that he was God of gods, and that as the emperor who ruled the, who ruled the West, uh, everybody submitted to him. Now, Rome had allowed, because Rome had conquered the, uh, the Western world and the known world at that time, they came across cultures that had different, different philosophies and different beliefs to Rome. And because they were small, they enabled them to have their own little private religions. They, call, they called it the cultus privatus. In other words, they were societies. They said, okay, if, you, you know, if, you, if you're not 
the overall story is that the, the public cult is emperor worship, but you can have your private little cult. And the Jews fit in their private little cult. And the Israel story in the first century, they actually had ne negotiated their culture and their structure where they, f they it fit within the Greco-Roman world and they were allowed to do their religion. But when Jesus came and when Jesus died and when Jesus was resurrected and when Jesus went to heaven, there were a few little Jews that actually began to change the story. And they began to say that, actually, this thing called that we worship Jesus, it's not just for our own little private cult, but it's actually for the world. Jesus is actually the Lord of the world. He is the Lord of everything. Caesar must bow to Jesus. And these bunch of nobodies that were just fishermen, farmers, like tent builders, merchants. In other words, people that weren't of like incredible, you know, you know public astute, that sort of thing. They, these people, they just lived their life and they began to declare, no, Jesus is Lord of the world. He's Lord of, of everyone. And you know what that meant for the Christian community for 300 years? It meant shit him. I just came up with that on the spot. How good is that, eh? Awesome, eh? Oh, awesome. <laughs> Guys, what it meant for a group of, for a community of people that were really small and insignificant and were fine in their little cultus privatus, when they began to stand up in the public and began to say, actually, no, Jesus is Lord of the world. And then people began to meet Jesus and began to go, oh my goodness, God is real. You know, like all of us have had that aha moment. Oh my goodness, Jesus is real. <laughs> I've got to follow him. When these people began to live by that dictum that Jesus is Lord of the world, it got them into so much trouble. For the first 300 years of Christianity, there were 10 persecutions that happened. And the reason there were 10, 10 persecutions because emperor after emperor after emperor, the Rome, the Rome was slowly declining. But when someone's in decline, the way that they try and maintain their status is they create wars. And they have to try and get more land and more territory and subdue people. So emperor after emperor was trying to recruit for their armies. And the only ones in the Roman Republic that would say no... I'm not going to fight with the Christians. And so you know what happened to them? They were killed. They were thrown into the lions. They were, you know, Nero had them as his torches, you know, for his own private parties. You know, throw some black tar on a Christian and set it fire. In other words, for the first 300 years of the Christian story, it was not a place of privilege to be a Christian. You were the lowest form of society and you were completely backward to the way the social order actually worked and actually happened. 
And then come 300 years later, in some random way, the emperor goes, hey, I'm going to be a Christian. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus now. What do I do? Now, if you had Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or John Key or like any, any national leader come to you and go, yeah, I want to be a Christian, what would you, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make the whole nation follow, follow this way. What would you do? I mean, think about it. Your, 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 your life and your ancestors have been mistreated for three centuries. You, your whole way of being has been perceived as, as, a, as a negative way to, our, to, to, to the Roman cultural institution. And then all of a sudden, the emperor goes, actually, sorry, there's something about you. And you know what it was? It's because year after year, century after century, the Christians would feed the poor even though they were Romans. The Christian would look after the widows. The Christians would find homes for the orphans. In other words, eventually, after time and after time, even though after persecution, after persecution, and after persecution, these people still loved the Romans. They still loved them. They still chose not to give in to the negativity and the demeaning culture by which they were treated. And it won Rome's heart slowly and slowly from the inside out, from the bottom up. They won the heart of Rome to the point where the emperor was like, I want to become a Christian. Now we look back on church history and we go, Constantine becoming a Christian, not good. <laughs> we look at that history and we've got so much stuff about it that we go, wow, that was... but what would you do at the time? Like, really, the way I look at it, there was no other way. Centuries of persecution. Do you go, oh, no, mate, you just carry on being a pagan. Constantine, you just do your pagan ways and worship your gods, and, you know, we're just going to carry on being persecuted over here. Like, you, you, you generally wouldn't go, ah, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. No, you would, you'd, you'd, you'd lean into what this opportunity was presenting. Man, what could this possibly be, and what could this possibly mean? And we know, we can look at this time, from that time, from 325 and 385, from that 4th century, the Christian church and what we call the empire, or what we might call Western politics, became hinged at the hip. It became joined. So the Christian story was married to the story of Western Empire. And we have it like that for about a thousand years. We have Islam come in for a period and, re and really crush parts of the Western Empire. And uh, after uh, Islam had a, had a, had went back, waned back down again, the relationship between Christianity and the Western Empire came back up even stronger. Uh, and our story of Christianity and the story of Christian missions has always gone from that period, from, from that 4th century, all the way up until the mid-1700s. The Christian story was married to Western expansion and Western empire. And then there's a period of history which philosophers call the Enlightenment. 
Now, when any organisation, when any institution is in power too long, don't, do we, do, do, generally, do we love it? Like, do we like it? Do you like it when the National Party's in for so long or the Labour Party's in for so long or what? Generally, we get fed up, right? Around the mid-1700s, like a, a flow of thought started uh, around the 16th century, around the 1500s, and then by the 1700s, it came to its fruition. And, and we call that the Enlightenment, with a period in history where society had grown to, Western society had grown to a point where they were able to say, church, even though a lot of these thinkers were Christians, by the way, but they said the authority of the church, we don't need that anymore. We don't need that stuff. We don't need some sort of dictarian, authoritarian figure dictating to us on how life and society could be, especially when that organisation is backing up their argument by places called heaven and hell and bringing in a whole bunch of spirituality to this thing where it's like, hey, if you just pay us some money, we can get your ancestors out of purgatory. right? Just give the church some money and uh, then we, if, you, if you pay us, then, then your, your mum and dad or your grandmother and grandfather that are in hell right now, we can, we, you know, God will send them out if you, if you pay the church money. Right? This is what, uh, um, what are they, indulgences were called. And that's how a lot, of, a, lot of, a, a lot of the infrastructure of Europe was actually built in that way by getting money, money off people. So you have that sort of policy going for century after century. A time comes where the people kick back. And they go, your, your spirituality, your vision of God and heaven and hell and spirituality, we don't want it. So what we, where we are at is since that time in the 1700s, there has been a decline of the Christian story uh, and... Western and the Western world, there's been a separation going on. But in that separation, a lot of the church and a lot of the story of the church has still been trying to hold on to that special place of privilege that Christianity has had within the empire. Even though our ancestors in the faith had no place of privilege, all they had was the understanding that Jesus is Lord. And that understanding of Jesus is Lord transformed, brought transformation to the world. Now, as like Alistair said before, when you tell stories, you always go to an extreme, you know. Every story has a way to go to extremes. And of course, being general always has its danger points. But what we have to understand within Western Christianity is that our role and our place in society uh, has been on this decline for the last 200 years. And in the last 200 years, and 200 years ago, when you and I think of the word missions, it's actually really when the mission movement, what we call modern missions, actually begun with uh, these these. Uh, organizations called the Church Mission Society, which, as Ali said before, was started by the Clapham sect, the London Missionary Society, uh, William Carey going into India, uh, the Wesleyan Missionary Society, 
all these societies began in that late 1700th period, so uh, over 200 years ago. At that time was when these guys that were starting these societies came up with this term called the Great Commission. Because they were saying all these, uh, starting all these societies and they wanted to sign people up to their organisations, their marketing ploy was to use this term called the Great Commission. Hey, sign up to the Great Commission. It's in, you can find it in Matthew chapter 28 and uh, Mark chapter 16. You know, go into all the world. Go into all the world. And this has been the story of Christianity and where we've come from. Um, it's gone blue. You guys all right? Oh, sorry, bro. You get, can you come and do your password now? In, the, in those last 200 years, um, you know, around the 1700s and the 1800s, as the story of Christianity went through Europe, it really, really married with the British Empire story. And uh, the British Empire was doing its best to expand out into all the world and to do this. And, and missions sort of rode on the back of that expansion. Um, some of you have heard me read a couple, uh, these two quotes I want to give you before, but um, uh, I've given you, some of you have heard them before. But I just want to read uh, a couple of quotes by a hero of mine, a guy called um, Leslie Newbegin. He was a, a missionary in India uh, from 1936 through to, I think, the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, and because he was from England but he lived 40 years in India, he had this ability to be able to see uh, the Western world and the way Christianity fit within, with, within the West. And uh, he writes this in 1978. He writes this in 1978. He's still writing this in 1978. There you go. He says this. I can't even read that from here. Sorry, I'm going to have to turn my back to you. The global expansion of Western power was neither new nor strange. It was one more example of a constantly repeated human experience. It has been perhaps the most far-reaching in history. It looms large in our view because it is the most recent of its kind. It is too near us to be seen in its true proportions or to be evaluated in all its mixture of good or evil. The one thing that can be certainly be said about this chapter of human history is that it is over. In other words, the way the West has been moving into the world and, uh, and uh, going out, every empire eventually fails and eventually reaches its end, like every single one does. And the West is an empire. And in 1978, Newbegin wrote, writes this, after spending 40 years in India, go, going that, you know what, this expansion of uh, Western power has come to an end. And then he carries on and he, and he says this. He says this, we, as in the church, we are forced to do something that the Western churches have never had to do since the days of their own birth. To discover the form and substance of a missionary church in terms that are valid in a world that has rejected the power and the influence of Western nations. Missions will no longer work alongside the stream of expanding Western power. They have to learn 
to go against the stream. For the last 100 years, every church mission and organization and structure has been built on a business model. You take the business model and you apply that to your ministry and your church, and that's how you build a church. It's the language of Western expansion. It's not the language of laying down your life. It's not the language of following our leader who is a, who is a person of the cross. Right? So here's the difficulty for us is that a lot of our Christian argument, a lot of our Christian discipleship, a lot of our Christian resources, a lot of our Christian uh, literature and structures has been, has comes from the height of Western power. It comes from structuring ourselves when our organization has been in a place of privilege. And when you, and when you think and act from a place of privilege, you come up with a whole bunch of Clinton and Trump arguments. <laughs> you are trying to defend your place on the hill and your rights because this person's going to be good for the church, but that person does not look like Jesus at all. And so, because we've had so long in a place of privilege as far as Western Christianity goes, we have to accept that that place of privilege is on the, it's, it's out. It's actually not on the decline, it's out. It's gone. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean at all I'm saying, no, we need to back away from not, from politics and not vote for Trump. I'm not saying that at all. I, I think if you've got a faith conviction for Trump, you vote for Trump. Not that anyone in here can, except for maybe two people. <laughs> or, or, what, or whatever it is, right? But, but our place, the place of Christian privilege is done because we've been in bed so long, for so long, with Western expansion and Western power. And that's why, all the way down, the ends of the earth, furthest place away from Jerusalem, at just the right time, God sent Kupe. Just the right time, God sent Awanuiarangi. Just the right time, God sent Samuel Marston and Mary Ann Williams, and Henry Williams. At just the right time, God sent this place. Because down here, down here in little old New Zealand, there's a document that's put on the psyche of our country saying that a Western people and an indigenous people will do life together. And you're never going to back away from that. That there is the genius of God for at just the right time, at just the right time, God chose his son to be born of a woman, born under law. At just the right time, God said, now, 
when the world has been fed up with Western expansion, and Western expansion is on the end at just the right time, there's this little old place down at the ends of down at the ends of the planet that people think it's called Middle Earth or somewhere like that, or or Narnia or something like this. Uh, they've got this, they've got this concept, but just at the right time, there is a people down there who know how to move in a way that doesn't think Western. Because the world is tired of ways of thinking and ways of doing business and ways of doing religion that railroad people. And not only railroad people, but railroad the earth. That railroad the way we treat the Finua and the Moana and the Wairere and the Nahere and all these places that God created and called good. This is why for many of you in here, learning this stuff for the first time, this is why you're here. Because God entrusts you to learn from an indigenous mind. God is wanting to give something to you to learn from a way that is, that is able to take you the treasures of who you are as a Western thinker and marry that with the incredible knowledge and insight of te ao Māori, of the Māori world that is down here. I believe with all of my heart, this place called Aotearoa New Zealand, we're, we're God's little secret for the world, created to help bring change in a world that is just dominated by Trump and Clinton. It's just dominated by that way of thinking. Trump and Clinton are doing their thing. The Sioux Nation are fighting for their land. Are fighting for their for their whenua. This was written in 1851 by the Commissioner of Indian Affairs. 
1851, there was a, tr- there was a treaty between the Sioux Nation. They were paid about three and a half, the, the agreement was three and a half million dollars paid out over a few generations. They got hardly any of it. When the first payout got come, got paid out to the Sioux people, settlers came in and 60% of what was paid out went to uh, foreign businesses, not to the people. So the Sioux got ripped off, big time. But this was the belief. It was our constant aim to do what we could to break up the community system amongst the Indians and cause them to recognise the individuality of property. If timely measures are taken for the proper location and management of these tribes, they may at no distant period become an intelligent and Christian people. This is the marriage of the Christian story with Western expansion as it's played out in America. While America is doing their thing this week, the original people of their land are still standing up and going, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Hey, I, I, we signed a treaty. And you know what? I don't, want, I don't want an oil pipeline to go under our awa, under our river, because there's three and a half thousand uh, oil line leaks in America right now. And who's to say that we won't be the 3,501st oil leak that's going to go into our water supply? So please don't do it. Missions. The way you and I practice our faith, it has to look indigenous. It has to sound indigenous. It has to reflect the land. It's got to reflect it. When I say indigenous, don't, don't think I mean brown. I also mean European, Celtic, you name it. Like Europe is indigenous as well. I've just forgotten, or some have. Of the land, of the funeral, of this place, of the earth. Um, so that's my introduction yeah. <laughs> and this is this is the thing I felt um, I'm supposed to say so I'll close with this before we go to Kai this is something that God has been saying to me um, and I feel like he wants to say it to us um, it's the story of Jesus' baptism. It's the story of another man that went through the Jordan River who crossed over the Jordan. It says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. The same place his ancestors went to. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn Open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my son whom I love. You are my daughter whom I love. And with you I am well pleased. I just I want to be very clear about this, man. What we're talking about here is not about us all being Māori. As a Māori, I want to be very clear about that. God is not asking you to be Māori. 
if you're not Maori. Not at all. He's asking you to learn from the Maori world. But you are God's children whom He loves. He loves you, and with you He is well pleased. Like He really is. You've come into this place, some of you, have you heard stuff for the first time and you're squirming on the inside, like, well, I'm white, what does that mean I'm a bad person? No. God loves you. And the only way this mission is going to happen is the only way it started. By our founder, by our leader, being assured that God loves him. And because he was loved, he was able to go in the desert and face temptation and face suffering. Because he was loved, he was able to go to the cross. Because he was loved, he was able to lose his place of, liver, of, uh, lose his place of privilege as the son of God, empty himself and become a human. Because he was loved. Because he knew on the inside of his heart that Iomata Wakori, his heavenly father, deeply and truly loved him. He loved him. Jesus is our high priest. And like those, like, like our ancestors in the faith who went cross through the, the, the Jordan River, God, put, he said, put it on the priests. Put, let the priests go first. You are a royal priesthood. And on behalf of our nation, you have to go first in this journey. You have to go first. You have to go first in this journey of being European and walking into a Māori world. You have to be first to be Māori and to walk into a Pākehā world. You have to be first to be Samoan and to walk into a Pākehā and Māori world. <laughs> right? But the only way, but the only way that this is ever going to happen and the only way we're, we're going to be able to help our Sioux brothers and sisters, right, the only way we're going to have, have, have a different message to say to a nation that is bent on working out their, their righteousness through legislation or whatever with their Clintons and their Trumps, is to know the love of God, is to know it deeply, is to know it innately. And as I was preparing for this week um, and this little hui, I just believe with all my heart that today and tonight and tomorrow, God wants to give every single one of us an encounter of how much he loves you. Because when you know that he loves you, you are going to be able to put yourself in a Māori circumstance, be white as, and say, I know nothing. But, I'm here. I'm here. And it's been here. It's been here. It's been here in this whānau. It's been present in a Māori world that is going to bring incredible transformation, I believe, for the world. For the world that is so tired and full of cultural conflict.